Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, Ryan, and welcome to the Cognitive Recalibration Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Shravan. We've got Taran here with us. Hey, everyone. So, in, in anticipation for Tenet, which is technically already out in uh, in some places now, we decided that we'd take a walk through Christopher Nolan's filmography and have a chat about some of his, well, all of his movies except for the Dark Knight trilogy, which we'll do as a separate episode. But we're going to look through all of his non-Dark Knight movies. So while I was doing some research into into these movies and watching them, I realized that we're probably pretty underqualified to talk about these movies because they're pretty, what's the word? They're, they're heavy. There's a, there's a lot happening in these movies, almost all of them. So there's a lot of content and there's a lot of depth to them. So in order to, I guess, do justice to these movies, we'll we will go into a little bit of detail on all of them but this series will probably be more than one episode so we'll probably go over a couple of episodes or maybe even three episodes we'll just see how we go and i've watched all of them over the last month or so uh, like i said it's these these movies are pretty heavy so it's like almost like studying like watching these movies especially when you're trying to talk about them in detail it's uh, a little bit taxing they're good movies uh, maybe i'm making it sound negative but you need to think about them a lot while you're watching them so before before we jump into the actual movies themselves i thought we should probably talk about uh, christopher nolan himself a little bit like his background where he's come from were you about to say charlie nolan i think so (laughs) yeah charles (laughs) no i've been watching i've been watching um x-men so maybe that's why so a bit about him so he's from he was born in london so if you've ever heard him talk he's definitely british Sounds very British, but what a lot of people don't know about him is that he actually spent his childhood split between Chicago and London. So his brother, Jonathan Nolan, who's a writer on most of his films, is actually very American. So if you ever hear him talk, you wouldn't even know that he's Christopher Nolan's brother. Like, that, Firstly, they don't look similar and they don't sound anywhere near similar. 
The other thing I, I find interesting about his movies is, because he sounds very British, but most of his movies are like pretty American. Well, Batman, obviously, it's an American character, but Inception is pretty American. There's always there's always a British actor in it, though, or, or a British character. There's always one. Michael Caine's always in it. And he doesn't change his accent. He's always British. But there's usually British actors, but they're doing American accents, usually, like Chris, Christian Bale. Well, in, in uh, Prestige, he actually does his own accent. Like, he does his normal Welsh accent in that. But anyway, yeah. my, my argument's just falling apart as we talk, so maybe I'll... No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, everything's bullshit. So. <laughs> so growing up, Christopher Nolan was particularly influenced by Ridley Scott. So one of his favourite directors is Ridley Scott, and he's actually a big Star Wars fan. So he really he, he really liked the original Star Wars trilogy, and he's also a big fan of the movie 2001 Space Odyssey. And you'll see parts of that in, in Interstellar um, because that was highly influenced by that movie. And he actually started making films when he was seven. He borrowed his father's camcorder and he, and he started making some short films. It was when he was 11 that he actually decided he wanted to become a filmmaker. When I was 11, I wanted to become an astronaut, and that obviously didn't happen. So good on him for uh, <laughs> sticking to his guns. <laughs> and a lot of people think that he actually studied film, but he actually never did. So he, what he studied in, in university was English literature, and the reason he did that was because he wanted to do something unrelated to movies, even though he wanted to become a filmmaker. He wanted something different so that it could give him a different perspective. And I guess you see that in his movies as well, because his movies are pretty unconventional and he brings different aspects to his movies that other filmy filmmakers don't do and it was at this time when so he went to university college london ucl and it was at this time that he became the president of the film society in in ucl and he used to film uh he used to screen films and use those the proceeds from those filmings to make his own films um so he was making short films around that time and that's where he met emma thomas who is now his wife. So both of them were the president or the heads of that union and they started making films together late 80s it would have been, late 80s, early 90s. In 1989 he made a short film called Tarantula. So that's that's officially his first short film that was released to the public. So this was film uh, this was screened on the BBC back then. So I think they had some competition and it was it was filmed as uh, it was screened as a part of that. Then he made some short films between 89 and 94. One was Larceny, which was screened at the Cambridge Film Festival. So all of these are actually on YouTube, I'm pretty sure. I haven't watched these ones, but I did watch his last short film, which he made in 1997 called Doodlebug. So he made that using his own money. Um, It is only like a three-minute film, but what happens in that is there's a guy in his apartment trying to kill a bug and he finds a bug and the bug is like a smaller version of himself trying to kill another bug and he kills the bug but then there's a bigger version of him and that kills him so it's like this infinite loop okay so he's a bug as well so he's a he's a smaller bug to someone else sounds like the final scene to a men in black movie (laughs) well it came that so that was done in 1997 so that came out in 1997 it was shot in black and white and you'll see black and white in his next two actual feature-length films 
So before we go into his feature length films, what I've done throughout my viewing of all these movies is I've seen some trends or techniques that Christopher Nolan uses, and I've called them the elements of Nolan's filmmaking. And I'll talk about an element or two elements in each of his movies because they're you kind of see it in all of them. But um, I, I can sh- I can talk about some examples in in each of the movies when we talk about them. Each of his movies has like a hook to it. But there also seems to be like an element that just doesn't make any sense as well. We can talk about that in more detail when we uh, get into his movie. I think I know what you're talking about because most of them do have... They, have... they have a hook. The first time you watch it, it's good. But the more you think about it, the more it doesn't make sense. But they're, not... they're still good movies. But they're... Well, there's always... It's... it's never clear. It's always pretty ambiguous, the endings to his movies anyway. Like, you're never left with, like, closure. I feel like there's always something hanging. But anyway, we'll talk about that in more detail, um, especially later in his filmography. His first feature-length film was Following. It came out in 1998. This movie is pretty hard to come by if you're trying to find a, a version to... I think it's on Blu-ray. You could probably buy it, but I tried to find it on streaming services. It wasn't there. As a last resort, I just searched YouTube and it was actually there. So I, I did manage to watch it. It's only about an hour long, so it's not a long movie. So it was around this time in Christopher Nolan's life that he was trying to get funding to make a, a feature-length film. And he was pretty unsuccessful in most of his attempts. So he decided to make his own movie, but it was the lowest sort of budget you could possibly uh, imagine. So he is the photographer, director, editor. So he's pretty much did everything in this movie except for the music. So for the music, he did get David Julian, who was the composer for his next three films, feature-length films, so even his studio films. And he did collaborate with the actor that was in his short film, uh, Doodlebug. There's only one actor in that movie, but in that short film, but he he also cast him as the lead in this film. Is this based off... Based off his own life, he actually he actually made the story for Inception by following some dude that incepted someone. <laughs> he was um, in the plane. He was in the plane, man. <laughs> the other thing is that a lot of people say this is like a precursor to Inception because there's a lot of elements in this that are in Inception. So there's this guy who follows people. He has one rule, and that rule is that he doesn't follow the same person more than once. But he breaks that rule for this one guy that he follows. And the guy figures out that he's being followed and he and he finds him and he questions him why why this is happening. And he's well he tells him that he just follows people because he's a writer and he's trying to get his content. This guy, he's a you can sort of say a professional burglar. So he just goes into he breaks into people's houses and he doesn't really steal anything. He just kind of he takes a couple of things, but he's he, he doesn't ransack the house or anything he just goes in for the fun of it and Christopher Nolan got an idea for this film when he actually got burgled his apartment got broken into obviously he called the police and all that but he was curious as to why they burgled him and what they were thinking while they were going through his house and he used that or that point to to write the story for this the main concept of this movie is not the following part but it's more the burgling part this thief takes the following guy under his wing and they start going into people's houses and burgling them. In true Nolan fashion, there is a, a big twist in the plot. The guy that's following is actually the burglar. It's a bigger twist than that. So there's a, there's a big setup behind the whole thing. Like the whole thing's sort of a setup. 
and you find out at the end and it all comes kind of full circle and Nolan does what he usually does in most of his movies in that the first scene of the movie is the last scene so this following guy is talking to a policeman because he's been caught and the end of the movie is that same scene so it kind of talks through what happened with the police officer and you see what happened and then at the end of the movie there's a revelation as to what actually happened and the setup that happened the other thing that he does in this movie which you see in all of his other movies is that it's a non-linear timeline there's parts there's scenes that are in the future and there's scenes that are in the past and you can tell that they're in the past because the following guy he i call him that because he actually doesn't have a name in the movie either I think he's just called Young Man or something. Um, in the in the official credits, he's just called Young Man. So in the past, he's unshaven, has long hair, he dresses like like he's homeless, pretty much. And then in the future, where he, after he becomes a burglar, he dresses much more nicely. So he gets a haircut, he shaves, he wears a suit. And the reason for that is Chief Burglar. His name is interestingly Cobb which is the name of the character in Inception. He tells him that even though they're burglars, they don't need to dress like they're, they're murderers and they're, that they're criminals. They should dress well. And you kind of see that in all of Nolan's movies as well. And he dresses really well, even on set. You always see him in a suit. So maybe it's just something he likes. Well-dressed gentleman. So what was the twist? You want to know? Okay, we can do spoilers. Um, I guess we'll do spoilers yeah, for all okay. of his movies. So the twist is, so in, in the process of burgling people, they... They burgle this lady's house. The following guy, he ends up actually meeting this lady and they start a relationship, but he finds out that her ex anyway is like a a mob boss or something. And he goes to confront the mob boss because he has something that this girl needs. But the whole thing is actually a setup. So the girl is actually Cobb or the chief burglar's wife. And they set up this guy because they know he's been following him. And they need something um, from the mob boss, so they they need some they need him to do something for the mob boss, and they know that they can't confront the mob boss by themselves, so they use this guy as a pawn to do it for them. But the way they do it is he this guy ends up committing a murder because he kills some guy in order to get it. They kind of set it all up so that it looks like he's behind the whole thing. At the end, the police officer kind of questions what's happened like he listens to this whole story but then they have all this evidence against him and it's all been set up by by the wife and the burglar yeah so he gets set up for all the crimes basically pretty much yeah he gets he gets fully set up and the end of the movie is just him going to jail pretty much yeah he gets arrested and then the thief guy looks for someone else to like to frame it's only an hour long and it's quite interesting so a lot of people might find it initially hard to watch because it is like black and white and it does start a bit slow and it is extremely low budget. So a lot of the moving shots are shot handheld. So you can tell that it's like a bit shaky. It's like a guy following someone walking. So it's you can tell that it's very low budget. But once you get past all of that, the story is quite well written and it is quite engaging. And like I said, it's pretty short, so you can get through it pretty quickly. The other thing in this movie is it's very much inspired by film noir uh, which is the black and white hollywood stylish crime films that used to be made i think maybe in the 50s or or 40s when they they used to make these black and white crime dramas so it's very much like like one of those movies and you can tell by the way it's edited that it's kind of like that too a lot of the scenes end with closed doors zoom into like 
a painting or something like that and then it would just cut the scene. So it's edited in, in that way as well. I've got some trivia. I've already talked about how this was filmed over a year, mostly on weekends. They used to get about 15 minutes of footage every weekend and they'd edit it together and put in the sound and everything. There's a clock that Cobb steals and that clock is the same clock that's used in Memento, which we'll talk about next. The second apartment that they break into has a Batman sticker on the door. It's not revealed at that time, but that apartment is actually the apartment of the follower as well. So they break into it and when they break into these apartments, they also make judgments on the kind of people that live in these apartments. And the thief basically says that whoever lives in this apartment is pretty much a loser because he doesn't have anything and all he has is like a typewriter. And at that stage, they don't, he doesn't know that it's actually the follower guy's apartment. At the end, you find out that he does know. But at that point in time, you think he doesn't know. Anyway, but there's a Batman sticker on the on the front of that apartment. Coincidence, probably, but it's not the first time that a Batman symbol appears before he made Batman Begins. There's another one in Memento as well. And the last one I've got is is about this thief, Cobb. So Cobb is the same name that the of Leonardo DiCaprio's character in Inception. The actor that acted as Cobb in this movie was... He actually didn't act again after this. He became an architect. And Leonardo DiCaprio's character in Inception is an architect. Different type of architect, but an architect of dreams. So there's probably some sort of connection there. He's named him Cobb and he's an architect. I think that's all I had about this movie. It is really good. I... I, re- I actually recommend people watch it. I think you tried to watch it, right? <laughs> yeah, I did. I did get much. I did get much way through it, so I, I can't really comment. It it does have music. I wouldn't really call it music. It's got a tune that is used throughout the movie, which is uh, which was composed by David Julian. And another thing that you'd observe throughout his filmography is there's always someone from his previous movie in the cast or crew that is in his next movie. So from this movie. He used David Julian again in Memento. So that's one holdover. And then from Memento, there's further holdovers. So every movie, there's someone that's that's held over. I guess while we're here, before we jump on to Memento, which was his next major film, the critical reception to all of these movies, again, this is excluding The Dark Knight, what, what do you think is the most critically acclaimed movie that he's done? The most critically acclaimed? This is based off... Reviews, so like Rotten Tomatoes, so critic rating-wise. I don't know, probably one of his earlier ones, because uh, I know some of the later ones are a bit divisive. So it would probably be something, probably like Memento or um, or Prestige or something, I would guess. Yeah, so it is Memento. Uh, it is Memento with 93%. You guess Prestige, but that's surprisingly quite low. So Prestige only got a 76% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, critic rating. His lowest is Interstellar with 72%. Probably rightly so. So the order is Memento, Insomnia with 92, Dunkirk with 92, Inception with 87. Then it's this movie following with 83%. Then it's Prestige, then it's Interstellar. But when you look at the audience ratings, it's... A completely different story. So Memento is still the best for audience as well. So it's still the top for both. But number two is Prestige when you look at the audience rating. So Prestige has got a 92% audience rating. The lowest in terms of audience ratings is, 
you can probably guess, insomnia. Interstellar. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, Interstellar is actually pretty high up there. So it's the fourth highest in terms of audience trading. Okay. So it's Memento, Prestige, Inception, Interstellar, then Following, then Dunkirk, then Insomnia. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So after he did following, he moved to America. He was in London till then. And then he thought he's not really getting anywhere in terms of getting funding for the movies he wants to make. So he moved to America to the West Coast in particular. And when he was moving to America, he met his brother in Chicago and they drove to the West Coast. During that journey, that's when his brother told him about this idea about Memento. And he was writing a short story called Memento Mori at that time, Jonathan Nolan. Christopher Nolan thought it was a pretty good idea and he pitched this to an independent studio, New Market Films, and it got greenlit. So this, the short story wasn't actually finished yet either. So he just got like the first initial concept of of the story. And it turns out that the short story is actually quite different to the movie as well. So kind of developed in different ways. So this is still an independent film. So this was not a studio film. This was very much an indie film. The budget was $9 It made $39 at the box office. It came out in 2000. So this is almost 20 years old. 5th of September is when it came out. It stars Guy Pearce. Carrie Ann Moss and Joe Pantiliano. I believe the last two were both in The Matrix. So he 
He did get a pretty big cast for this film based on, I mean, he's only done one film before this and it was an indie film. The reason he got such a big cast was because probably he was going to get an even bigger actor in this movie uh, for, for the title role, for the, for the protagonist role. So um, Brad Pitt was initially going to be in this movie, but he couldn't do it because of scheduling issues. So he, was, he pretty much said okay, but he couldn't do it. And that's when they got Guy Pearce. The cheap man's Brad Pitt. Yeah, he's like the Australian Brad Pitt, pretty much. This guy Pitt's Australian. Yeah, he is, yeah. Well, he's half Australian, half British or something, but he's definitely got some Australian in him. There's a lot to discuss about this movie, but what were your thoughts on it? I'm pretty embarrassed to say that I only watched this movie this year. I hadn't seen it before, before this year, and it's I was definitely missing out on a lot. I think there's a lot of hype behind it, but it certainly is a 2000s movie. It's good, and the concept is is great. And if you watched it in 2000, you would have been blown away. But since then, because there's been so much that's happened, I feel like it's not as good. I think the concept is... Well, there's two things. So there's the concept of um, anterograde amnesia, which is what the protagonist suffers from. But there's the whole way that the film is structured, which I think is still really original. Well, it's it was original back then, and it's still holds up i think yeah. it's i think that's the the main part of the movie that i really enjoyed the story is pretty basic but because of the way it's told it's not as basic like if they if it was told just a straight line from start to finish it would be pretty boring but because it's told in a in a weird way it's it's a bit more interesting yeah so there's a video of christopher nolan explaining this movie back in would have been like 2000, 2001, and he explains it as a hairpin structure. So he draws, he draws in this video, he draws a hairpin on on a blackboard, and he says that the end of the movie is actually the middle of the story, which it is in this, in this. But what happens in this movie is they have black and white segments which are in the top part of the hairpin, and they have color segments which are in the bottom part of the hairpin, and the top part of the hairpin, which is black and white, is what he describes as being objective throughout this whole movie it is from the perspective of the protagonist he is an unreliable narrator because of his condition as well because he's got amnesia so you can't really believe what he's saying all the time but he says that in the black and white segments it is objective so it it is more or less the truth but then in the color segments it is subjective so it's what he wants us to see so it's not necessarily what actually happened in in another way um so that that was interesting because that puts the whole film into perspective as well because some of the stuff that happens in the color sequences you question the motives of some of the characters especially karen moss's character the other thing is the color sequences go in reverse and the black and white sequences go in the mm. in the right order so they go forward yeah. and so it keeps cutting back and forth it keeps cutting back and forth so you kind of have to piece yeah. it together in in your mind and the reason he did that was not just because it's a gimmick but he did it because he wants the audience to be put in the same perspective as as a protagonist so feel as if they have amnesia and they can't remember things in order or things that happened so yeah. that's that's the reason my, he did my- it. My way of seeing it was that the uh, well with the color with the color sequences each color sequence 
is he remembers what happens in that color sequence. And when you go back, when you go back to it, he forgets, if that makes sense. So each, yes. each, yeah. each sequence so it's is like a fresh what memory. he remembers. Yeah. 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 And then when you go to the next one, he forgets what happened in the previous one. Yes. Yes. But since we're watching it in reverse order as well. We get the same feeling as yeah, he does. Yeah. 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 So you don't. Yeah, you're not experiencing it in the same order that he did either. So that's why we forget it as well. Well, we don't know it. It's not that we forget it. We just don't know what happened. The other thing that Christopher Nolan said, this is from his own words. uh, He says that the first few shots of the movie pretty much sum up the whole movie. And the first shot of the movie is a photo developing in reverse. So it's, I think you see a dead man, someone he's just murdered and he's shaking it, and it's kind of um, disappearing, so it's developing in reverse. So that's kind of symbolizing the the protagonist's condition, so he forgets what he's done pretty much um, throughout the movie. The other thing I want to talk about was this character of Sammy Jenkins. We're told that he's a character from Guy Pearce's past life where he, was, he worked in insurance, and there was this this man who had a condition very similar to his own condition now, how he'd forget things very quickly. Throughout the black and white sequences, you you see this story unravel of, of this guy called Sammy Jenkins. But at the end of the movie, you find out that Sammy Jenkins didn't actually have a wife. So the whole point of this plot is Guy Pearce is trying to get revenge on a criminal that supposedly killed his wife. That's That's what everything revolves around. While he's telling this story of Sammy Jenkins, Sammy Jenkins happens to have a wife in in his flashbacks, and she also died because she got an overdose of insulin from Sammy Jenkins because he kept forgetting that he gave her insulin. And she did this on purpose as well, so she did it just to test him. But at the very end, you find out that Sammy Jenkins never actually had a wife, and it was in fact Guy Pearce's wife that had diabetes, and she died of an insulin overdose. And I think that... A lot of people argue that it's ambiguous whether that's actually the truth, but I think it is the truth. So I think that's actually what happened. Yeah, I don't think it was too ambiguous. I thought it was pretty straightforward. I I think this is the most straightforward out of all of these movies, to be honest. Well, the other thing is there's a shot in the black and white sequences where they they show Sammy Jenkins in, um, I think it's in a nursing home or it's something. It's like a mental or old person's home yeah. or something. Med- yeah. yeah. And the person walks past him, and if you freeze the frame, you see Guy Pierce in his yeah. seat. So it's it's kind of already telling you that the whole story was just about him. And he, he's just kind of made it more convenient for himself so that he can get revenge rather than blaming himself. It's either that or he just forgot. He, he actually just forgot. But I think maybe he's kind of made himself believe that he wasn't the reason for his wife's death? Well, he doesn't actually remember how his wife died. I don't think he remembers because he doesn't remember anything from after his accident. His accident was when the robbers came in and they they rob they rob his house and then they injure him in that accident and that's where he loses his memory. That's his last memory, yeah. So after that is when he actually kills his wife. So from that point onwards, the only things that he remembers are the things he tattoos on his body or the pictures he takes. Yeah. And the tattoo that he wrote on his body says that Sammy Jenkins was the 
well, just as remember, remember Sammy, Sammy Jenkins. Jenkins. Yeah, yeah. And since that was from before the accident, he remembers Sammy Jenkins, but I don't think he remembers all the details of that that particular case. Yeah, I thought I really like this movie. I watched it twice in the same day because I, one, because I wanted to analyze it more, and two, because I there was some some things that I I missed in the first viewing as well. So I watched it twice in the same day. About Natalie's character, so this is Carrie Ann Moss's character, do you think she knew that he killed her husband? She she knew that he was at least involved in her in her husband's death because he rocks up in his car and in his suit. Yeah. I, I guess she thinks he's involved and she knows that police officer's involved because he's been searching around for him. So maybe she's just like, get yeah, get two birds with one stone or something. Yeah, because she pretty much uses him. And there's that scene where, and you see this scene in reverse as well, because she walks into the house and it looks like she's been beaten. But then in the next colour sequence, you find out that he actually punched her and she's made it look like she's been she's been hurt by someone else and she makes him yeah. go 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 through with um killing someone it's a little bit like inception so inception they kind of have this idea of you can plant an idea in someone's mind and that'll manifest itself and it'll come out in life it's a little bit similar in that she makes him think that the police officer is the murderer of his wife and he ends up going and killing him and throughout the whole movie, I I never really trusted this police officer either. It sounded like he was, well, firstly, I didn't even know if he was a police officer, so he, he looked a little bit dodgy. You just find out that the police officer is just going around, still using him, but to find criminals and then basically get That's him right. to kill them. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So he's been, he's basically being used by everyone, but even also, the hotel, yeah. even the yeah, hotel even receptionist. The hotel, yeah. 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 My game-breaking element in this movie was. As if the police officer's name is the same name of the guy that killed his wife, that G. robbed his wife. Yeah, like, that is... How is but that... Is, is it is that his name? Because maybe the police, police officer made it... Why would he make it his own name? <laughs> well, there's a lot of John... Like, John is a pretty common name, and I guess John G is a pretty common, if, and there's probably okay, criminals... If you're going <laughs> to string this guy around to go, <laughs> go kill people with the name John G... You wouldn't put it as if if you're gonna tell him the name, you wouldn't say it's your own name on the off chance that he thinks it's you. I guess. Well he, <laughs> he always happens, does tell him and then that he kills him. Yeah, well he always does tell him that he's Teddy as well, but it is a risky uh <laughs> risky plan in case he does end up finding out. So that that's a great game breaking element in this movie. I guess, yeah. And at the end of the movie, he knows for that moment that maybe he did possibly kill his wife, but He's going to forget anyway. Like, in the next moment, he's going to forget, and he's going to continue on this rampage of killing John G, killing John the next G's. John G. So he's going to spend the rest yeah. of his life pretty much doing that. Basically. No, I thought this movie was was great. I think it's one of his best movies and one of the most original movies ever made. So definitely, definitely worth it's good. watching. It's better than some of his newer stuff. I don't think it's his best movie, but it's better than some of the newer stuff. He sets a pretty high bar for himself, though, so... Yeah, he does. Like I said, he does carry over cast and crew from his previous works, but this was his first collaboration with the cinematographer Wally Pfister, so he was involved with pretty much all of his movies up till Interstellar. 
So this was his first collaboration with him. So there's an Easter egg in the DVD, limited edition DVD of this, where you can actually watch the movie in the correct order. So it kind of puts all the scenes in the correct order. But in order to get that scene, you had to break a puzzle or something on the DVD. So you couldn't just, it wasn't just an option that was there. You had to like go into some menu and then type in some weird numbers and then it would would, um, unlock this bonus version of the movie. So it doesn't make it easy even when you have a DVD of his movies. I've got a few more trivia points on this movie. So this film took 25 days to shoot. So it was pretty quick. It is a small budget movie and a lot of it is, it's in this town, it's it's all in this same town. Most of it's in like a hotel room. So it's, it wouldn't have been uh, taken long to actually make. So apparently all the dialogues in the black and white sequences that feature Sammy Jenkins, so the older Sammy Jenkins, were all improvised. The test given to Sammy Jenkins, so this is those tests that he has to identify his his condition so they, they electrify some shapes and he has to pick the shapes that aren't electrified and he can never remember which ones are so that is an actual real test that they did do um, on clinical trials for people with amnesia but apparently the the findings that they found were not identical to the real life case study it wasn't exactly the same but they used this the similar concept in the movie so guy pierce was originally two 130 pounds or 104 kilograms before this movie was made so he was pretty big um, but he lost all of that weight in a couple of months so he's in this movie he's skinny i would say he's pretty skinny but he was pretty big before this movie the other thing that i mentioned earlier is there is a batman symbol alongside a superman symbol and a star wars symbol on a shop front that he drives in front of so you see it very briefly but you see Batman, Superman, and Star Wars um, on on a shop. So second movie in a row where you see a Batman symbol. So I think we've kind of discussed the elements that I that I kind of saw in in this movie. So one is that he has in all of his movies he has these insert shots. So insert shots are when you have a really big close up of of an object. So for example, like the totems in Inception. So it's like a close up of the spin top or a close-up of the of the die um, and you have that pretty much in all of his movies so in this you have it of the photographs in prestige you have it of the diaries or the the writing in the diaries that they're each reading so it's pretty much prevalent in all of his movies um, so he has these insert shots and generally insert shots are used to cover up editing holes so it's not really a technique used to it's it's kind of a technique just to fill in gaps it's not really used for anything else but he seems to use it as a actual plot point um, in all of his movies. And obviously, the main thing from this movie is the non-linearity of storytelling. So this, again, is seen in pretty much all of his movies. There's a non-linear aspect to, to everything. So this is a pretty big example, but even in like Prestige, there's moments where they're in the future and then in the past, so it cuts between the past and the future. He did it in Following. He did it in Batman Begins as well where you'd have moments from Bruce Wayne's past and then when he's older as well. So he's pretty much does that in all of his movies. I think the only movie where he... His last two movies, he didn't do that. So Dunkirk and Interstellar. Dunkirk has it. It's, except it's a little bit different in Dunkirk. I mean, we'll talk about it when we get to it, but it's it flows in the same order. It's just that 
parts of it move slower than other parts. So mm. it's a, kind of a different, slightly different concept, but it's still, it's, it is still non-linear. And Dark okay. Knight and Batman, Batman uh, Dark Knight Rises do. Dark Knight doesn't, and Dark Knight Rises, Dark Knight Rises doesn't. doesn't. Yeah, those two don't, yeah. Okay, I think that's all I had to say about Memento. In terms of awards, it was nominated for Best Screenplay and Best Film Editing. It didn't win any Academy Awards. And it is the last of his indie films. So after this, he he started partnering with Warner Brothers after this. So pretty much all of his movies after this were Warner Brothers. And this movie got the attention of Steven Soderbergh and George Clooney. So they were the executive producers for his next film, Insomnia. So I thought this would be a good part to maybe end this first part of the episode because it's his first two indie films before he goes into the studio system and he starts doing more big-budget stuff. Memento and Following. I think Memento is still one of the most original movies ever made and definitely, definitely worth watching. Even Following, if you want to see the origins of Christopher Nolan's filmmaking, I think it's still a good watch. If people want to get in touch with us, if they have any questions or comments about this episode, how do they go about it? Yeah, so they could contact us at Facebook, uh, at Cognitive Recalibration, same as Instagram. Um, our email is Cognitive Recalibration Podcast at gmail.com and our Twitter handle is C Recalibration. Yep, and if you want to support the podcast, uh, please do give us a like on our Facebook page, but also give us a review on iTunes or Spotify. And we also have uh, Amazon affiliate links that you can use to purchase the Blu-rays of of these movies if you want, Um, and we get a bit of a kickback. And you can also support the podcast by um, buying us a coffee or giving us a small donation, which we'll use to uh, further develop the podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another episode, the second part of this series, where we'll talk about Insomnia and The Prestige. Insomnia being his first studio film and then Prestige being the third studio film because he had Batman Begins in between. So we'll talk about those in the next episode. So till then, keep safe and uh, we'll see you next time. Till next time. See ya. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? 
we wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.